Elizabeth's cousin Mary did visit and uh, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We also know from Scripture that Mary stayed another three months with her cousin. And so that tells us that she was with Elizabeth all the way up until the birth of John the Baptist. It also means that when Mary returns home, having been gone for three months, that miraculous pregnancy would soon begin to show. Now, we'll talk more about that next week, but this morning I want us to focus on, on Elizabeth and Zachariah. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and begin reading with me in verse 56. Luke chapter 1, verse 56, and Mary stayed with her, Elizabeth, about three months, and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had been displayed, had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. When Elizabeth was barren, many considered her to be the object of God's judgment. It was a disgrace for a woman during that time in that culture to not be able to bear children as if that were something they could control. But now these very same people who once criticized her are now saying she is the object of God's mercy. The truth of the matter is she was the object of God's mercy all along. We know from Luke's account in the very beginning in chapter 1 verse 6 he says, and they, speaking of both Elizabeth and Zechariah, both were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, I'm sure there were times, realistically, that, that Elizabeth felt forgotten by God. As everyone around her was having children and, and raising a family. Judging by our circumstances, if we were there, we might even consider that, that she's somehow being punished. But in fact, she was being prepared. God was at work in ways no one could see, at least not until now. God's mercy has been made evident through the birth of this son. A son, as they said, who will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These family and friends were rejoicing in what God had done for Elizabeth. But little did they know, this is something that God had done for them. They too were the object of God's mercy and grace and so are you and I. This is done for us. Let's continue reading in verse 59. And it came about that on that eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. And his mother answered and said, no, indeed, we shall call him John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And there made signs to the father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. The Jewish faith is filled with tradition. And one of those traditions is the circumcision of a male child on the eighth day. It is a tradition that's actually tied to a promise. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 17 verse 10. 
If you'll just listen as I read, this is that promise. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant which I shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. God speaking here. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise in the flesh of the foreskin and it shall be a sign to the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who has been born in the house of one who is brought, bought with money from, from a foreigner who is not one of your descendants. They too shall be circumcised. Circumcision was a sign for God's people set apart as a chosen nation. People who were called to reveal the goodness of God to the world around them. God told them to be a a light to the nations. And this would certainly be true of this child to be born to Elizabeth, who will spend his entire life pointing people to the light of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So family and friends have gathered together for this important event. And all those present assumed that Elizabeth would name the child following with tradition. Maybe they would call him Zacharias. That was the expectation. It's the father's name. And it would make sense for the firstborn son to carry on the family name. And it would be fitting. Because the name Zachariah means God remembers. But that was not the name given to them by the angel Gabriel. Elizabeth interrupted all the speculation and said, no, no, his name will be John. A name that means God has been gracious, which is fitting for John in more ways than one. But this made no sense to their family and friends. Remember, the Jewish faith is filled with tradition, and very often breaking with tradition was seen as an offense against God. So if Elizabeth is going to be foolish, then surely Zechariah would be more reasonable. So it says in verse 62 that they made signs to him. So apparently, not only could uh, Zechariah not only speak, but apparently was unable to hear as well because they had to make signs to him. They had to somehow tell him and ask him, what do you want to name this child? So he wrote on a tablet. His name is John. And they were astonished because that's exactly what Elizabeth had said. They were astonished because this Jewish family was breaking with Jewish tradition on such an incredible and miraculous occasion. How how could they? But little did they know they were breaking with tradition in order to be obedient to God. And their faithful obedience would now introduce yet another miracle. Look at verse 64. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak praise to God. And fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept this in mind saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with them. We learn here that when Zacharias was able to speak, after John was born, 
the first words out of his mouth were praise to God. You'll notice he, he wasn't bitter because God had caused him to lose his voice. Instead, he had learned that it was actually a blessing. Because in his silence, he made room for reflection. Remember, Zacharias had a voice until he doubted the word of God. He was a righteous man. Don't forget that. He was a righteous man who couldn't make sense of what God was trying to do. And yet he gained understanding when he took time to reflect. It was in his silence, a God-ordained silence, in which he found clarity. When he was finally able to speak, everything that came out of his mouth was praise to God. What filled his heart just spilled over. It's what Jesus taught us when he says, the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. And apparently, Zechariah's heart was filled with praise. His silence made room for reflection. His reflection deepened his understanding. And his understanding resulted in praise. Once again, the people were astonished says in verse 66 that, that all the people were captivated by all that was happening. The news spread throughout all the hill country of Judea. Everyone was in t- uh, focused on, on this unexpected birth. And they were wondering, what in the world is going to become of this child? Well, we know the answer to what they were wondering. John the Baptist would announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And I want you to just think about how gracious God has been to create such an interest along the way. He wants them. He wants them to look expectantly for what is to come. Because what is to come is ultimately intended for them. And for you and I, for that matter. It was all a part of God's plan. For Zechariah to be chosen by Lot to enter into the temple where he would encounter the angel Gabriel. God was at work in what might seem just a decision of chance, right? Almost like a roll of the dice. God was at work in the pain of a childless womb. God was at work when a righteous man could no longer speak. God was at work in all those events. And ultimately, he was at work in order to draw us to himself. It's not an accident that everyone was wondering what would become of this child. Because God was setting the stage and he was turning on the spotlight upon the one who would announce the greatest news the world has ever heard. John will introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The long-awaited Savior who will bring salvation to the world. God was at work in both suffering and in rejoicing, causing all things to work towards his perfect plan of redemption. God was never not at work. Look at how it continues in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. 
and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant to us that we may being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. Remember last week, this is one of the three times that Luke uses that same phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about how he uses it like a stop sign. He wants it to get our attention because it's like a sign that says, what follows next is a prophetic word from God Himself. And that's exactly what happens here. Just like we see with Mary, Zechariah begins with praise. We know that Mary's song of praise was known as the Magnificat. And this week we're going to look at what Zechariah had to say. His is known as the Benedictus. It's taken from another Latin word that means praise be or, or blessing. It makes sense. Look at what it says in verse 68 again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished his redemption for his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Zechariah is here speaking prophetically about Jesus, the promised Messiah, our Emmanuel, God with us having visited us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David who will reign eternally on David's throne, a Savior who will bring salvation to the world. Like Mary, the praise of Zechariah, as you look through it, is filled with Old Testament promises. And it makes sense because Zechariah was a righteous man, which means part of what he did was what he was a a student of God's Word. It's filled in his song of praise. And perhaps, I just wonder, if in his silent reflection, when those words of God were rattling around in his mind and all he had time to do was think about those things, because he couldn't speak, and maybe not even hear, I wonder if during that time is when he made the connection. And realized that those promises of God that he knew so well and eagerly longed for had now been fulfilled. I wonder because he uses past tense verbs when he goes on to describe his prophecy. He says that God has visited. He has accomplished redemption. He has revealed salvation. These things have been accomplished because he knows Mary is pregnant with a promise. Jesus will fulfill everything God said he would do. This is not a new plan. This is the fulfillment of an ancient promise. A promise that is all throughout the Old Testament story. And I believe Zechariah makes that connection. A promise that goes all the way back to Abraham in the very beginning when that nation of Israel was formed. 
fact, that's what he says in verse 72. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. Remember, God made that promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He promised him a land, a seed, and a blessing. The land of Israel, the people of Israel, and a blessing that would come through the nation of Israel. I believe the oath that he refers to in verse 73 here may go back to a promise that God made affirming that covenant commitment. It took place on Mount Moriah. After God had rescued Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac, and after seeing the evidence of his faith, God makes this promise to Abraham. You can listen to what it says. It's in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this thing, and you have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." The oath is a confirmation of the covenant promise of God. Zechariah, I believe, is looking back to that promise, that oath affirmed to Abraham, and he's saying that seed has come and has been fulfilled. He is the one who will rescue us from our enemies so that we might serve God without fear. I want you to think about that statement for just a minute. I want you to notice that the goal of being rescued is not to do whatever we want. (laughs) Instead, we have been set free through salvation to do what God wants. To live holy and righteous lives. No longer enslaved by sin. We have been set free in order to serve without fear see ultimately fear is our enemy fear is the power of sin's control sin is what leads to death and what eternally separates us from that life-giving relationship with God that we were ultimately created for and our savior set us free by breaking the power of sin's control He rescues us from the domain of darkness through His forgiveness and grace. Zechariah prophetically proclaims that the long-awaited Savior has come. And he also recognizes the privilege that his son will have to announce the Savior's arrival. Look at what he says beginning in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to to guide our feet into the way of peace. John the Baptist 
divinely ordained by God to announce the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. For those of you who memorized Isaiah 40 this summer, these words should sound familiar to you. A voice is calling, Isaiah writes. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let the, the valleys be lifted up and the mountains be made low. Let the rough ground become a smooth plain and the, a rugged terrain a broad valley. For the glory of the Lord has been revealed. In all flesh we'll see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, John the Baptist is the voice calling in the wilderness. Jesus Christ is the glory of the Lord that has been revealed, and all flesh saw it with their own eyes. God has visited us and accomplished his redemption through Jesus Christ. And all of this made possible, as Luke reminds us, by the tender mercies of God, the one who is as faithful as the rising sun. There's never been a day in the history of mankind when the sun did not shine somewhere on the face of the earth. And in the very same way, there has never been a day that you have not been covered by the mercy and grace of God. Jesus is the light that shines in our darkness. He's the lamp unto our feet, the, the light unto our path. He guides our feet into the way of peace. And let me just say here, not a peace that's a pleasant feeling free of any difficulty or pain in our lives. This is a peace that comes from a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In many ways, it's a peace that passes understanding because in those times of difficulty, when we have the peace of God resting upon us, there's really no logical explanation. I was visiting with a friend this week, and we talked about how we can often become paralyzed by trying to find the answer to everything before we're willing to do anything when what we really need is the answer to one thing the answer to one thing because that's where we find the peace that our heart longs for most that one thing is our savior jesus christ it's the understanding that he has accomplished redemption through what he did on the cross when he gave his life and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It's the understanding that he broke the power of sin's control when he rose from the grave. He is the light in our darkness. And faith in him is where we find peace. He's the one thing. He's the only thing that truly, ultimately, sets us free. As I thought about our passage this week, I was intrigued by Zacharias. And there were some things in, in his life that I'd not recognized before. We learned in chapter 1, verse 6, that he and his wife were both righteous in the sight of God. He was a faithful to God. He, he, he followed in his commands. And I think sometimes when we hear that description, you know, a righteous man, we kind of assume that they've got life figured out that they don't struggle, that they're perfect in many ways. And yet, Zechariah, when visited by an angel, was filled with doubt. 
even here in this last verse, he includes himself as one who sits in darkness. Look again at verse 79. To shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, but then in his own words, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah was a righteous man, but not because he had all the answers and was free from doubt. Zechariah was a righteous man, but not because he no longer struggled with sin. No, Zechariah was a righteous man because he clearly understood one thing. He was a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus was his only hope. Zechariah was made righteous because he was willing to surrender. And not just once, right? We see here, here's a man who's older and has lived a, a lifetime of faith and yet clearly still has things to learn. Here's a man who didn't make the connection with all those Old Testament promises until God took his voice away. And he had to sit in silence and consider the truths he had always known only to then realize they've been fulfilled. In his silence is where he saw the Savior. I think this time of year, especially, we experience just the opposite. <laughs> Instead of things slowing down to consider and reflect, it ramps up in the busyness of the season, and we can lose sight of what we really need to be celebrating in its fullness. We don't have a lot of silence left in our world today. And yet, our silence is where we often see the Savior most clearly. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to create some space for silence. And I'm going to ask you just to be quiet and reflective before the Lord. And here's something exciting that I want to share with you as a part of this time to help guide you. Last week, I asked you to write a magnificat that expressed your heart in praise before the Lord, like we saw with Mary. And several of you sent those to me, and I don't know that I've ever been so blessed than I was when I read what you wrote. So I'm going to take some of those this morning, and while you're quiet and reflective before the Lord, I'm going to use them. I'm going to read them to help guide your time as you focus on the Savior in silence. So if you'll just bow your heads, close your eyes, be silent before the Lord, and take some time to reflect. Lord, you've looked upon me and descended down to find me that you might bring me up. You are great, but also good, generous, gracious, and giving. You have done great things for me. You've rescued me from darkness, and you are right now making me new. Though at times and seasons I'm stubborn and hard, I know you are pursu your pursuing love will break through. You exalt the humble, you break down the proud. You're for the lowly, the left out, the poor. 
I praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for who you are and what you do. How could I ever express enough gratitude and praise and honor of you? A different realm you've opened up to me. Your grace has brought me in. The sun is rising all around me, lighting up the dark places that remain. Found by you in the midst of everyday living with all its joys, struggles, beauty, and messes. You revealed yourself to me and became the steadfast anchor of my soul. Knowing you it became a lifelong quest, a journey, one I'm still on. And bit by bit, you reveal yourself to me by your spirit, from your word, through your people. Trusting you was a result of knowing you, the one my heart could fully trust in all seasons of life, the joyous, the painful. Loving you was my response to being so loved completely by you, a love like no other, so pure in its intent for one so unworthy. Serving you was my only possible response after being found by you, after coming to know you, after learning to trust you, and being loved by you. You are my soul's delight. You're my greatest joy. Out of a manger in Bethlehem. He was held as your mother held you. He was nourished as your mother nourished you. He was warmed as your mother warmed you. He was taught as your mother taught you. He was consoled as your mother consoled you. He was watched over as your mother watched over you. He was loved as your mother loved you. He was born King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was creator. He was sacrifice. He will hold you as your mother held you. He will nourish you as your mother nourished you. He will warm you as your mother warmed you. He will teach you as your mother taught you. He will console you as your mother consoled you. He will watch over you as your mother watched over you. He will love you as your mother loved you. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sustainer. He is salvation. Father, our mouth speaks out of that which fills our hearts. So I pray this morning as we close in song that we would sing joyously the praise that fills our heart. The praise that 
announces and proclaims the promise fulfilled. Jesus, our Messiah, has come. Our redemption has arrived. And we have been made new because of the promise fulfilled in Him. Lord, thank You for so clearly setting the stage so that everyone was talking about what would become of this child. And not just John, the one that he would announce. Everyone wanted to know, what is it that God is doing? And we sit here today knowing what God has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. May we live it out and sing faithfully praises to God because of those truths that now fill our hearts. Amen. Isn't it beautiful that there's simplicity in the gospel? There's only one thing that you truly need to know to find the peace that your heart longs for most. And I pray that through this season, you rest and reflect on the gift of that promise. And that you find peace, and that you share peace, and that you live peace that comes through faith in Christ alone. So go in peace and share that with others. Amen.